audio and uh, thank you, Jocelyn. You know, take me down a little bit uh, there. It's great. So, so um, leaning a little bit recently into uh, a couple of years, been more aware of the overall history of New Zealand. And uh, so, you know, weave introduction. The, as far as I know, I've been able to find the first Burton that I'm from was born in Auckland in 1867. So we've been around a little while, not as long as some of you, uh, there. And uh, that would be my great-granddad so, in Auckland. So, so most of my family here has been in Auckland, and I spent half my upbringing in Auckland, but the other half in Wainui Yamada, and uh, where we have a compatriot back there, so that's a little bit. But I was born in a place called Tikopu. Anyone know where that is? No, it's in Northland, uh, just south of Dargaville. So that's all. We'll get back to that in a moment. And uh, so I've been, I've been uh, grew up in a movement called Church of the Nazarene. At 19, I met God. At 23, I started pastoring. So pretty short uh, window there. That was in 1981. And uh, I've had, uh, yeah, yeah, 40 years. Yeah, probably next week, within two weeks' time, and 40, because it was the first weekend in August, I my, my first role as pastor of the church in the Nazarene in Whangarei. And had a new life minister's ticket, Christian minister's thing, and, and of course Church of Christ, the Christian Church of New Zealand, that when God led me to Nelson where I was for the last 20 odd years. And for the last year, finishing at the end of June, I was the minister in charge of an Anglican church in Nelson. So weird things happen in God's kingdom. Uh, but now I'm just me. So here I am. That's a wee, wee uh, uh, bit of introduction. I do Wife, I have four children, seven grandchildren, and uh, the oldest one is taller than me. So that happened. Have you got those scriptures in, anywhere? Do we put on the screen or we just use words? I've got, I've got a few verses already. Are we good? My, my main call right now, in case you're not sure what's going on, I don't know you all, I see a few familiar faces, but something in me is church to more maturity, uh, heart church. I'm your heart. So, you know, not going on. That's what I'm after. I'm after God breathing something into your heart. So listen for that. You're going to hear it differently. You're going to pick up what's for you. I'm not going to tell you how to do anything. I'm really happy if you answer the question that calls you to do something for God. I found that as we grow in maturity, God stops answering our questions and he starts doing our questions to soothe. Because uh, you know when you go after it and then it comes alive in you, you're going to live it. Yeah. You're going to go with it. When it just comes easy and, you know, oh, that minister told me five things to do to get somewhere, you go, oh, the first thing you do is go buy the food and go back to the circle. No, you, I'm happy if you go out of there and talk to me and go, That's right, that's right. So I've got these scriptures. I've got three verses. Can we do that one last, please? Uh, we'll go first to Hebrews 1. Sorry, I didn't give you the order. Uh, that's right. Let's read. Can you read these together? Is that cool? Yep. Word of God. So together from the. Beyond verse 1. Yep. Sorry, chapter. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And is there a verse before that? Is that the only one on the screen? Have we got a verse 1? No, let's go. We'll just... Yeah, that'll do. 
I had to use a phone. I don't have any other technology with me. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that, that'll do. It's not, not critical. Yeah. I messed them all up because I didn't give you an order, so it's all my fault. Uh, no. I want to go for this one third. Uh, here we go. Verse 1, all together. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power. Word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Well, right. you just sit and think of that for a while. You have to keep going for a couple of weeks, don't you? Uh, uh, the next one, Hebrews 13. Here we go. From the top there now. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant Brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And uh, we'll pop into Matthew now. I think those two phrases uh, are sort of. They are the beginning and the end of Hebrews, but they also are the beginning and the end of being a Christian. It all begins with something God did. And it's all going to happen within something God is doing. Let's read Matthew, shall we? Matthew 20, uh, 11, 25. Here we go. Thank you. Come to me, all you who are weary. Oh, that's verse 28. You got verse 25? There we go. <clears throat> At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Just pause there. Can you hear the word of God? It's hidden things being revealed. Hidden things being revealed. Where are we up to? From yes. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. That sounds different than what I read when I read that um, during the week. There's a verse missing there, isn't there? Verse 27. Here we go. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Pause again. There's hidden things being revealed. No one knows the Father except the Son. Who's the Son? It's Jesus. Who are the sons of God? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> hidden things being revealed, and the only way they can be known is if Jesus reveals them to you. Not Paul, 
if Jesus reveals them to you. If Jesus reveals them to you. Reading on verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke and my burden is light. My um, brief history uh, adding on, beginning of 2019, uh, we can flick off that now. Uh, the last in January was my last Sunday at Unite Church, where I'd been since 1998. And, and, it, and it, it was an journey, and it had some it had journey, and it had some high points uh, from certain ways. But so we left there, and, and, and haven't left because it's sort of still my home church. Uh, if anything is, so there we go. I'm fairly relaxed about that, and did a little traveling around, and I ended up later in the year in Dargaville, just down the road from Decopo. There you are, two out in circles. And I was asked to go sort of look after a little church for a few months, and a friend of mine asked me to go. And, uh, I was sitting there thinking, God, why am I here? You ever get that? Why are we here? Why am I here? It's a special prophetic reason for me to be here. Of course, when people are going, oh, you know, God's going to have a reason for you to be there. God, it's going to be something, you know, you get that we like this. And I'm saying, God, he says, what do you need to know? Oh, I thought it'd be nice. Yeah, I could do it if I knew what it was. <laughs> and this is what I had my spirit says, do you know I asked you to come here? I said, yes. So why isn't that enough? Why isn't that enough? He says to me. Well, uh, I need to know. No. Right. But my flesh needed to know. But my faith doesn't need to know, does it? My spirit didn't need to know, did it? It just needed to know God, that I would hear with the Father. As Jesus said, I do what I see. My Why do I? To do this, I don't know, but we talk in the in the gospel of the church. Maybe you don't. Maybe I think you might hear. I think I heard a little. You know, unless a man would deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, he can be my disciple. And see, that is what it looks like. That experience is what it looks like to deny yourself. Agree with? I don't need to know. I need to get comfortable not knowing. I need to live in the discomfort of my flesh, my soul telling me I really need to know and actually trust God in that uncomfortable place. And you know that following Jesus, you're often uncomfortable. You're often uncomfortable. Because actually, my flesh, who I was before I came to know Jesus, Think I was spirit, soul, and well, wasn't much spirit, but soul and body. Uh, you know, we put out in all sorts of ways, but God wasn't in it. He might have seen me before I was created, and He might have been, had a purpose for me from before time, but He wasn't in that person before he, I met Jesus. That person is useless at hearing God's word 
hearing God's voice, knowing what God's saying. I'm useless at it. In fact, Jesus in John 6, when the disciples came and said, this is a hard teaching, and he said something like, your flesh is good for nothing. It's useless. But the Spirit breathes life. But the Spirit breathes life. You to give it on the whiteboard at home. I am useless at hearing God. But the Spirit breathes life. And that little lesson I had was about growing up and, and taking another step of faith that I wasn't just about I didn't need to know about that situation, but it was learning again that I can't lead from my flesh, even with decades of knowledge about the things of God and experience, it never can take the lead. It can never take the lead. It's always, I need Jesus to be revealing to me today who I am in Christ, what, he's, what I'm here, yeah, all those things. As we read in that text, Jesus told us, didn't he? He said, you know, there's hidden things and you're only going to know them as I reveal them to you. And we read that first text. The father said, I've tried all sorts of ways to show these people that they're useless. Their flesh is useless. Prophet after prophet, and they failed every time. You think that was a surprise to God? No. He always knew he was going to need to come himself to speak into our flesh the word of life. And so we see that picture of those, those scriptures. He says, it's hidden. You need to hear from me. And you need to take man after prophet after prophet came and brought something, but couldn't speak to the heart. So you need Jesus to come to speak to your heart and to take the covenant on this covenant, that this picture there. Our flesh is useless. Not only we see do we see that in these scriptures, we also see a progression going on. There were things hidden that Jesus revealed. There's a progression going on. There's no looking back. There's no good old days. There's no time in the past that was better than today. Some of us would like to think so. I was in a church once uh, down in Christchurch that over about a six-year period went from a handful of people to a few hundred people, uh, Sunday morning services, Sunday night services. We used to be there three hours on Sunday night. And every Sunday night, there'd be an hour of worship, an hour of preaching, an hour of ministry. It, it, it was one of those exciting times. It actually kept going on. We left it in 94, but by the end of the 90s, there was a 1,000 people meeting there. And we look back, oh, what a wonderful time. There's no better time than today. Because I know things today I, today I didn't know then. I know God in ways today I didn't know him then. We, we sung the song, I love that song about the goodness of God running after us because I've learned to see it but, and, and that God is faithful to this but what I've also learned, he's not faithful to me. He's not faithful to my ideas, he's not faithful to my dreams, he's not faithful to my visions, he's not faithful to who I think I am, he's faithful to who he sees I am. He's faithful to Jesus Christ and if I'm not in Christ, he's not faithful to me. 
His only faithfulness to me outside of Christ is to get into Christ. <clears throat> Have you realized that? Yeah, yeah. But I meet a whole lot of Christians who think God's faithful their latest idea of what God wants to do with their life. They might not have asked God about it, but it, you know, they've been told that your passions are from God and I'm passionate about this, so God must want it. And, well, maybe their passions are leading them the wrong way because, you know, he's faithful to himself. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to himself. I'm going somewhere here. I hope you're getting somewhere out of it. Uh, you know, there's this thing. So we've got, got this here picture of Revelation. Jesus said, here's the invitation. Come and take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, I haven't found it so. Have you? And, and as I've already pointed out, what we find is, his yoke does not fit on our flesh. It doesn't fit on our ideas. It doesn't fit on our pain. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. It only fits on our faith in Jesus Christ. It only fits on the new person that God sees growing in us. It doesn't fit on our flesh. It's uncomfortable for our flesh. So the question is, what does it mean to take the yoke on us? And I think it's a question... That's, that's about covenant, this word we read in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, when he says, he's just giving a little summing up statement, isn't he? Uh, there, and he's summing it up and he says, this God of peace. And so that's right, we know that's where peace comes from. It, it doesn't come between us. We can't create peace, not the sort of peace God wants us to have between us, but we can receive it and bring it. And uh, we've got to get God involved and his peace involved, but that's not the message. And he says he's, he's the great shepherd, and he talks about this blood covenant, this eternal blood covenant that Christ has created. It's a yoke. Can you see it? An eternal blood covenant that Christ has created. Now, I used to think that when I first used to study the, the idea of covenanting, and we studied covenanting in the old, we discovered the process, uh, you know, the study the processes which you go through to covenant, and, and we used to talk about covenanting with God. But I've come to realize I, I don't covenant with God. Who, who, do, who do I think I am to covenant with God? I don't have a covenant with God. But Christ has created a covenant. He came as a man, a human just like me. And through faithfulness with his Father in heaven, they formed a covenant between the humanity, the creation, actually all creation, and the uncreated God. Formed a covenant. He formed it himself. He did it all. A covenant is, is, is a hard word to define, I find. A, a, you can look at it in many ways, and it comes up many different Essentially, isn't it? A covenant is when two live one. When two live as one. You know, words like being bound together. The word covenant in the old means sort of like to bind together. It also means to cut. You cut apart from everything else, to be connected to one. So marriage is like that. Eh? A man would leave his father and mother and then cleave 
to his bride and they become one. So he's cut away from this to cling to that. There's a binding there. Two living as one. There's a mystery in covenant. And the mystery in covenant is this, that it costs everything. It's like, it, it feels like when you're going into it, you'll disappear in it. Because you don't get to hold, keep anything back. You just got to like plunge in that you'll disappear in it. True covenant, you become fully revealed. And I've seen some marriages like that. I've married quite a few young adults. I've seen quite a few young marriages and uh, united and some of them my kids and the other youth. And, and, and you watch when a couple come together, and I'm thinking of a couple now called Danny and Scott, and both of them coming into covenant, and then we started to see more of Danny and more of Scott. They bring out each other's best. You see these other couples get together, and hey, I remember saying to one young lady, they didn't get married, it was really good. She's going out with this guy, and she's talking to me. She's been an active leader in our youth. And, and I said, where have you gone? <clears throat> because since you got into this relationship, it's like you've been disappearing. And you, many of us have been around have seen that happen with couples. and so That's unhealthy. Yeah, but covenant's a mystery like that. Unless we come into this covenant with God, with everything, we can't become. And yet there's a, it's like, you can't work that out of your head, can you? No, no, it's a mystery. So Jesus created a covenant. It's a blood covenant. We can't add to it. We can't subtract from it either. So don't think, you know, oh God, I messed up. Something fell. No, it's, it's finished. It's a bit like Noah's Ark. It's created. It's there, sitting there waiting. And then the invitation comes, come in. Because something's going down and you need to be in the ark. And Noah's family had to choose. Will we trust what Noah and God have got going on? Or will we think we know better? There's no, there was no in between, was there? And you, you ever think about this? They had to consider, okay, every friend I have, every activity in life I've ever pursued, everything I know about life, everything, I know about life. Everything I have, maybe just the clothes I'm wearing, I get to keep. I'm going to turn my back on it. And walk into that ark. And only those who go into the ark can remain with me. Unless a man would deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Unless a man would repent turn us back on everything else of this world and bring faith to Jesus. There's no salvation. I mean, the ark wasn't going to save people who just believed in it. Look, there's an ark. I believe there's an ark. Oh, what a wonderful ark. Let's worship the ark. No, the ark was saving people who got inside it. And so Jesus created a covenant it's a spiritual covenant, but it's very real. In fact, one of the other mysteries is some of these things I know, but it takes ages before they settle into my spirit, is that in the kingdom of God, well, in, on earth today, 
that which is spiritual is more real than that which is physical. That's what the Bible says. Physical, that you can touch, is the shadow. But the real is spiritual. And we know that because we die, but we don't die. But we don't know it because it's so hard to actually think that that spirit is more real than the physical. That's why it's a revelation. That's why you'll never get it from your flesh, being able to consider it and work it out. But God can make it come alive, and your mind can understand that. But the understanding will come rather than be achieved. Does that make sense to someone? Yeah. Yeah. So we come into this covenant like Noah's family went into the ark. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said. I wonder how many yokes some of us are wearing. Because they don't fit well when there's more than one. It doesn't fit well to have two, three, four yokes. Come into my covenant, this eternal blood covenant. So it's eternal. So it's before time, through time, after time. It includes all other covenants God had with Adam and Noah and David. They're all lost in there. Not really lost, but they, they all just go in and fight, become part of it. It's eternal. But it's this blood covenant. Come into the blood of Jesus. And the disciples, I don't know, how can we drink your blood? That doesn't make sense, as we said earlier. He said, you know, your flesh is useless at figuring this out, but your spirit can get it. Come into the blood of Jesus. My blood can't save me. It's pretty good blood. It's done pretty well for quite a while. I'm one of those people who does pretty well with colds and flus and, you know, they don't like me and I don't like them, so we, we agree. They show up, I have a sniffle, then they go away. I'm blood, 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 okay, but it, it can't save me. It can't save me from death. It can't save me. It gives me no spiritual benefit at all. Can't forgive me. Can't cleanse me. Can't, can't, but Jesus' blood can. That which is impossible for me is possible with God. Maybe, maybe that verse I think find in the last couple of years, I mean, realize this is a really important verse to think about. Because I've been in church a long time, and we work hard to save people. And we can't save one. We can't even make a disciple. I know I said Jesus, go out and make disciples, but we can't even make a disciple. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But he likes to ask us, get us involved. He gets us involved. He asked us to help him. That which is impossible for me is possible with God. And his blood. And I'm really preaching on that. I'm preaching on the idea of just catching that we just come in. And we find this precious blood of Jesus. And there's a whole series you can now preach, isn't there? Not, not you, know, you know, five weeks worth. Probably ten, but. We find this precious blood of Jesus. And it's more powerful than anything else we could ever come across. And it always brings a friend with it. Have you noticed that? Because he says, you come into this covenant, this blood covenant, and, and he goes on, we read, and he's working in this covenant. He's working in us. You always find that Jesus' blood brings his friend, the Holy Spirit. And he's working in us. Where are you looking for the Holy Spirit? Where are you looking for God to do something? 
the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. He's working in us. He's working in you. Come into the covenant, like Noah's family came into the ark. That is, I bring my faith to God, which means it's not somewhere else. And then I work his covenant in me. In me. The kingdom comes in us before it comes through us. The kingdom of God, I don't see in the New Testament or in the Old Testament really, plan of God than to work people's hearts and out of the heart the life lives and then the kingdom comes. I don't see any plan to drop it like a bomb. You know those meetings, oh, I just believe prayer. Just, oh, I just believe that suddenly God's going to do something and it's all going to happen. Yep, in your heart. And then as you start to hear what he's doing in your heart and make it your testimony, make it the way you talk about things, life you practice, then it starts coming in to earth as it is in heaven. And maybe today God's waiting to get a hold of some hearts. While we're waiting for God to, to drop some gospel bombs that suddenly save the world, he's waiting for his church to open their heart up to him again. Because my problem is this. We're losing. I'm part of the church of Jesus Christ. Been doing this for 40 years. And been pretty zealous at it. Pretty dedicated. I reckon I could look back and think, I haven't done much for me to make sure my lot on this world is, is good at, at expense of doing what I felt God had put before me. And when you look at the church across New Zealand and countries like it, we're not winning. And I know we'll go to meetings and they'll tell us, don't pray for revival, it's here now. That's nice, but if it's here now, I'd like to see some fruit. I just don't want the prophecy and the vision that you had last night. I want some fruit. And say, what do you mean, Paul? Surely we're winning. Jesus won. That's right. That's the problem. If we're not winning. You know it. Not only are we shrinking in percentage, we're also losing influence. See, God's on a track record. He's on a track, not a track record. God's on a pathway. We're going somewhere. And where we're going is God's church being the light of the world. And the way we're going there is through Jesus' revelation and covenant. Through hearts coming into this covenant. And for the covenant coming alive in us as he reveals it in us. There's no other plan. So we're going somewhere. Therefore, there's scripture still to be fulfilled. Scripture's like, like all creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. I'm not sure exactly what a son of God looks like. I, I think most of them look like Jesus. But two years ago, when we had, oh, was it a year or so ago, when we had an election, I didn't see on my Facebook feed, feed too many Christians looking like Jesus. I saw more Christians you know, looking like Herods. We've got to get the right political party in or New Zealand's doomed. I thought, where's your faith in God's faithfulness? Do you think that what you see is a bigger deal than what God is doing? Can't you see in the Scripture there's still Scripture to be fulfilled? And it's going to be fulfilled. 
No matter what our government does, or the world governments do, or the conspiracies do, no matter if it's all true that everything conspiracies, people are looking into that might say, and maybe it's absolutely true. I don't know. But God's not hostage to any of that. But he is waiting for hearts. He is waiting for hearts to take his yoke upon them and to come into that covenant to have that renewed heart and the blood of Jesus and the breath of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So we've got a problem in the church. Not, Not only are we losing our sort of presence in society or whatever presence we thought we had, and I mean the seen church as we see it, we're also screaming a lot about it. No, I mean, not you, but, you know, generally speaking. And I wonder if God's more concerned about what's going on in the hearts of those who claim to believe in Jesus than what's going on in politics. Is it a, a day? For a new heart. Is it a day to be considering our hearts before God? You know, the Bible talks about in Jeremiah quite a bit about this idea of, you know, I want you to circumcise your heart. What does that look like? You ever get these? What does it look like, God? I don't know. But here I've come to see it simply looks like what happened to me in Dagobah when I had to say, okay, God, I don't need to know. My heart cannot have in it anything other than my faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, there's nothing precious, so precious I can't lose it. Come on, the gospel doesn't stand if we have to have more than Jesus. Because Jesus didn't have to have more than Jesus. He was faithful to the Father at the expense of everything. And then he said, that's what a son of God looks like. I think a son out the face of Goliath. You know, the worship, Israel's having a worship time, praising God, talking about how great God is, singing the songs of God's faithfulness. Invite someone in to go face Goliath. And David says, oh, I don't know, what's the problem? There's something in my heart that says God's in the sky. So what happens? It's their heart. It's their heart. Yeah. History's gone somewhere. No matter what be happening in the church in New Zealand, no matter what we feel is happening in our personal walk with God, God's going somewhere. He's told us where it is. You don't need to get a pop. It's already in the text. See, I'm going to come back and my church is going to look like a certain state of being. I made ready. And we can't see it. There's something to be believing for. There's something to be interceding for. There's something 
going somewhere. Come into the covenant of God. God begins to work in us, so we become the covenant. And all change, this change that takes place in, in the bride being ready and the sons of God being revealed, because I don't think they're talking about different things, those scriptures. They're talking about the same thing from two different um, perspectives. Have you noticed? Uh, he, he talks about the helps us all to get it. And uh, he says that change is like birthing. There's a change that's taking place, and it's like birthing something. A degree of stress, a degree of frustration, a degree of your walk with God right now. Because if that's the case, it could be that something's been birthed in you. You sense of faith in the covenant that we have with Jesus. And you rest, because he said, if you take this yoke on me and learn how to wear it like I wear it, you will find rest for your souls. That's weird, isn't it? You know, the more I, uh, I say weird, meaning it doesn't add up to our minds. The more I stop trying to be who God told me to be, the more capacity I have to be who God's called me to be. So I better wind this up. I had this problem. Uh, this problem, and I've got one more place to go related to this. Because my experience recently, over the last, particularly notice this over the last 10 or 15 years, it seems more normal for many Christians I meet who have a high degree of sincerity and, 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 and will go through some pretty big thing hanging on to God, but they still seem to live anxious. Anxious. And it seems that the, the way many places where we do church, particularly ones that get a little bit more going on, Finding people get weary from the process. Some of you may have been there. And the thought of doing going to church on Sunday morning is a cringe. Because it's heavy. The, it's like Jesus coming along to those who are weary and heavy laden. You hearing me? Yeah. We're stuck in the third soil of that parable where we have this word of truth in us. But the anxieties of life, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of the desires for other things, and I found at times can fit into the zeal for God box. Actually are choking that seed, and it's not bearing fruit. We go to another story where Jesus come along. You know, most of you would know this, the story of Mary and Martha at the end of Luke 10, and, uh, and, and Martha comes down and says, can you tell Mary to come and help me? Because, you know, we won't go any further with that. And, uh, 
And Jesus says, Martha, you are anxious about many things. See, it wasn't about the actual activity right then. You are anxious about many things. You're like that third soil. How many yokes are you wearing, Martha? You want to please me, you want to please the household, you want to please them, you want to please them. You think it's got to look like this, you think you've got to have that. You're anxious about many things. But Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. The one thing that is necessary. To sit and listen to devotion to Jesus. Devotion to Jesus. To get him free from the many things. So we've got a fresh devotion to Jesus. A fresh devotion to Jesus. So this idea of this, these scriptures, this idea of this covenant, some of us are probably old enough to, you know, it just doesn't work to have two covenants. It's impossible. That's why it doesn't work. Because you're breaking one covenant. You can't have two covenants. I don't know. I used to say to young adults, uh, young, when they're talking about marriage, we say, well, our goal here is not to say, no, you should not do this before you get married. Our goal is to get you to say yes to having a great marriage, to having a God-honoring, God-pleasing, covenantal marriage. So we'll talk about that. So if you can get that vision, just say no to everything else to do with you know, intimate relationships and things. Because the power's in the yes, isn't it? The power's in the yes. See, God's saying to us, just say yes to coming into my covenant. Coming into this covenant Jesus has created. He's the beginning of it. He's the end of it. He's done all the work. He just asks us to put everything in. You ever thought about that? You know, we've got an equality with God. Here's the equal way this relationship works. God says, I'm going to put everything on the table. And you come along, he says, now if you put everything on the table, we can work this, we can do this. See, it's equal. Now, your everything's not equal. <laughs> what I mean, no, it's, it's equal. It's covenant. Covenant. If it's not equal, it's not covenant. And God's done his part. It's all on the table. It's created. The ark is built. He's saying, he'll get in. Really get in. He'll leave everything else behind compared to knowing Jesus. Not just compared. It's not just, I compare them and this is worth more, but not those in the background. No, it's actually, in a real way, they let go of. And God will test it. You wait. Some of you will know exactly what I mean. There'll be things you thought were precious. He says, let it go. Get rid of it. But they can have it, you say. How can they have it tonight? Not about them. He's testing. Is everything given up? And there's other things he, he thinks, oh, you can have that. That's, it's not, not, this is right and this is wrong. He's testing the faithfulness. Is everything in there? And then he tests it. Trust you with everything. Yeah. Oh, we better wind up there. So how do you live in covenant with God? How do I give him my heart afresh? I go to verses like John 12, 24, 
And Jesus said, unless a seed goes down on the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it goes down the ground and dies, it can become many seeds. And he says he's talking about himself. He's also talking about all those who follow him. That's what looks like. But that's what coming in to the... That's what it looked like for Noah's family. Okay, we're, we're leaving all this. We're planting ourselves in this ark, in this, this thing that God has given us to plant ourselves in. Very limited compared to the covenant we had of Jesus Christ, but a clear picture. A complete leaving, a complete planting. And when you plant your life as a seed in Jesus, in the blood covenant of Jesus, you don't get to tell them, You don't get to tell them where it's going to go, what it's going to grow, what fruitfulness is going to look like. What's coming until God grows it. Until God leads it. I think these days God is looking to give us church, capture the heart of his church again. We'll live in covenant. You can't claim any promises outside of the covenant we have with Jesus Christ. And once you're in it, you don't need to claim any because they're all yes and amen. So this morning we'd have communion here and we're going to take a moment, in a moment, um, invite you to come and take communion. I would really encourage you this morning as you pick up that piece of bread and cup, make a, make a new commitment. if you feel like you know, you've been a Christian for years and years, come back to that place. Say, God, I want to be fully planted in Jesus. I want to know the joy of your salvation alive in my spirit today. I don't want to be a Martha who's yoked to many things. I want to be Mary. That Jesus is the one thing of my life. And you'll know the specifics you might need to deal with. But it's a time of commitment. It's a time of devotion. A bit nervous I am because time's gone and I've been here a long time. I've got one more thought. I've just got to say this. We take a verse like a covenantal verse that Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. What's he saying? Live in my covenant. Live in my covenant. You know what I've found? That many years I've had verses like that that I wished were happening in the church, prayed would happen in the church, hope would happen in the church, but actually was not intentional or as intentional about calling the church to them as maybe being busy running church. Josh and I have sat on many meetings together at a national leadership level. How many meetings did we talk about something like that? Jesus said, this is not rocket science. Love one another as I have loved you, and all men will know you are my disciples. We've got a problem in this nation with people knowing who Jesus' disciples are. 
Maybe we've got a problem with loving one another as Christ loved us. Maybe we've got a problem with our hearts. Logic, eh? Maybe we've got a problem with our hearts. And maybe when we take communion, it's about time. Saying, oh, God, I need a new heart. I need a new heart. I need you and you in my heart. I need you and you in my heart. I need your blood flowing afresh through my heart. Forgiveness, cleansing, purifying, empowering, delivering from every curse, clearing away the rubbish, speaking a better word, healing. It's all in the blood. And I need your blood when you're in my heart. I'm going to pray and then invite you to come and uh, we'll do communion, take communion together. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this covenant. Thank you it is done. It's completed, it's finished, it's on you. And you've invited us to join it. Lord, I'm praying as we come and just to remember again. You this covenant, your body and your blood, that we can enter it afresh today. It's good. Your faithfulness is good. It's waiting for our response. So we see ourselves stepping in to this covenant like Noah's family stepped into the ark. We see ourselves being washed afresh in your blood, breathing again, you Holy Spirit, into the most being where you're doing your work to create in us the Son of God who will be revealed in our life. Father, I pray your blessing on each of us this morning as we come and share together you, you, your body, your blood, real food for our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen.